0: Hi, this is Jen White. Before we get to the episode, I want to take a minute to talk to you about something important. The majority of the funding for shows like Making Obama comes directly from people like you who support WBEZ Chicago. Your donation today will help us do more and plan for what comes next in podcasting. So please chip in what you can. 35 bucks, 50 even $10 helps. It's quick, it's easy, and it means a lot. Just use the link in the episode description or text MAKING to 30644. Again, text MAKING to 30644. And thanks. Who
1: are you, Barack Obama? I heard that. What does that mean? No one's
2: going to vote for someone named Barack Obama. Thought, what kind of name is Barack Obama? I think I probably and mispronounced I the name. Barack, possibly.
3: And our guest, Barack Obama. That's spelled O-B-A-M-A.
0: Okay. All right, let's kick it, buddy. Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> If you're looking for a solid connection between former President Obama and the city of Chicago today, look no further than the current occupant of an office on the fifth floor of City Hall.
4: Fifth
5: floor, going up.
0: Before he became mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel served as chief of staff during President Obama's first term in the Oval Office. Do you think President Obama's story could have happened in a different city? When you think about Chicago... Not not a chance.
6: Not Not a chance. Why not? Not not even close. Because it's so tough and you have to really fight your way through it, if you can make it in politics here, you can do politics anywhere. Harold had a great, you know, politics in Chicago ain't beanbag, okay? If you get elected in Chicago, and I mean get elected, not made, there's a steel inside of you. And I always used to say, when I was in Congress, my colleagues would ask me, who is this guy? Senator Obama, etc.?" I said, he has a unbelievable, warm, enticing, capturing smile. It covers a very tough steel spine. I have a rule about politics, which is you have to be principled enough to know why you're doing what you're doing, and then ruthless enough to want to get it done. And uh, you cannot be successful without the combination of those two.
0: From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Jen White, and this is Making Obama. This is our podcast that takes a deep dive into the early political years of Barack Obama. We look at how the city of Chicago helped to make the first African-American president of the United States. Last time, we talked about Mayor Harold Washington and a major shift in Chicago that was happening during Obama's first years in the city.
3: When I arrived in 1985, Harold was dominating the political scene.
7: Do, and I approached this job, just like any masterful surgeon, when you have to cut out a cancer, I cut it out with no emotion. Get it out, get it out.
3: Council wars was in full fury.
7: They were going to make
8: sure that they fought him tooth and nail... I suggest to you, sir...
3: ...to make sure he didn't succeed. Some of the work that Harold did was inspiring, and after he tragically passed away, that energy dissipated.
9: Chicago Mayor Harold Washington suffered a fatal heart attack... Barack Obama's
3: campaign would not be so without the Harold Washington movement in Chicago.
0: Now, in this episode... Barack Obama fully immerses himself into the world of Chicago politics. A person who comes to Chicago
1: needs to be ready to run, because if you're not ready, you can get got two
0: or three different ways. He's out of law school, he's building a career, and he's making some key connections. I
10: introduced him to everybody I know. There wasn't anybody I left
0: out. By the end of this episode, he's in his first elected office, but not without some drama. And some hard choices.
7: I was not as mad at him as I was at her.
0: Yeah, you know, in politics, you got to have a thick skin. Part three You Don't Say No to Barack. During this time, Barack Obama makes some allies who will stick with him through the rest of his political career. And we start with the most important one.
3: When I met Michelle and got to know her family, everything that I had come to love about. Chicago and the South Side seemed embodied in them.
0: In the summer of 1989, after his first year at Harvard Law School, Barack Obama was hired to work as a summer intern at Sidley Austin, one of Chicago's most powerful corporate law firms.
4: We have some 1,900 lawyers. We have 21 offices around the world.
0: And what's the firm's revenue at this point?
4: It's in excess of $2 billion a year.
0: Newton Minow is a senior counsel and former partner at Sitley Austin.
4: Whenever a, a summer intern arrives at the firm, we assign a young lawyer who's been with us a while to supervise and mentor.
10: And they decided that I should be his advisor, um, probably because we both went to the same law school. We were both minority students.
0: Obama's advisor was Michelle Robinson, who had also graduated from Harvard. Here she is on CNN in 2008. And I probably did what a lot of people do when they hear about Barack Obama. First I thought, what kind of name is Barack Obama?
10: And I found out that he grew up in Hawaii. And I found that strange. As a girl who grew up on the south side of Chicago, I had never met anybody who lived in Hawaii. So my assumption was, this guy's got to be kind of weird, right? And then he walked into my office on that first day, and he was cuter than I thought he'd be.
6: Was it love at first sight?
10: No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Obamas here interviewed on 60 Minutes in 2007.
3: So I I asked her out, and she... uh... She said no. She was taking this uh, this whole advisory thing too seriously. Eventually she gave in.
0: The Obamas' early love story is pretty well known. There's even a movie about their first date, where the charming couple wanders through the city from art exhibitions to community meetings to a movie and a first kiss outside of Baskin Robbins.
2: There is no Barack Obama without Michelle Obama.
0: Barack Obama's close
2: friend, Marty Nesbitt. I am sure he would say the world doesn't have the capacity to understand actually how important she has been to him. I'd tell him that over and over again, like, you know, you're probably half the man you are without without Michelle, and I know he would agree.
0: We've talked to people about how important your wife and the Robinson family were. Can you talk about the role they played?
3: Well, to see Michelle, a product of this wonderful, loving family, who was confident and didn't feel as if she had to choose between success as it was defined outside and staying true to her family and her community. That all felt right to me, it fit. In Michelle, I found a partner who could go back and forth and in and out and integrate the worlds that I occupied as well. With Michelle, I could go into A Southside church or a basement dance party, and she was comfortable there. We could go to Ravinia and listen to the symphony (laughs) and hang out with some partners at a law firm. There was a sense of someone who would always be secure and carry that part of the South Side and that part of Chicago that I loved with her wherever she went. In that sense, uh, you know, like hopefully any good marriage or partnership, the person more than the place becomes your home.
0: In 1990, Obama returned to Harvard to finish his last year of law school, and he did well. He was elected the first African-American president of the Harvard Law Review. It's the most prestigious student-run legal journal in the United States. Obama here speaking in 1990.
3: Although I'm honored, and I think people can say that my election symbolizes some progress, I think it's real important to keep the focus on uh, the the broader world out there and and see that... uh, Barack Obama uh, is the organization's first black president. It it was a big
0: deal. An article on Obama's election appeared in the New York uh, Times the next day. He was offered an advance from a literary agent to write a book, and people wanted to interview him. Here's Obama in 1990 on NPR's Morning Edition.
3: Presidents of Harvard Law Review generally go on to serve as a clerk to a justice of the Supreme Court. Right. That in your plans? Well, you know, probably not, actually. I think I'm more interested in, uh, after practicing for two or three years, to go either back into community organizing or uh, to go into government service or uh, politics at some stage. Harvard Law Review President Barack Obama.
0: With that accomplishment, Obama was suddenly a very hot commodity with lots of people wooing this young star from Harvard. Harvard. The Harvard Law Review handled his calls. So I called the Law Review and um, asked if he was in. Judson Minor had formerly been Mayor Harold Washington's chief legal advisor. But in 1991, he was a partner at a small law firm that specialized in civil rights litigation. Minor had read an article about Obama, and he was curious to know more about him.
11: This young lady asked if this was a recruiting call, and I said, you know, the truth of the is I'm not quite sure why I'm calling. But I uh, call it a recruiting call. And she said, well, would you like to leave your name? And I said, yes. And she said, okay, well, you're number 643 or something.
0: Eventually, Obama and Minor scheduled a lunch date. What he wanted to talk about was,
11: do I have any regrets in light of what I wanted to do? Having done it as a lawyer, have I thought about other routes that I might have taken? Do I think I was effective? Could I have been more effective?
0: What were the options? And at this point in his life, Obama had a lot of options.
11: All of the big firms at that era, you had to have at least one black lawyer, and that black lawyer was assigned to get Barack. So their job was to convince him he'd be a terrible mistake for him to come to our law firm.
0: But in spite of all the other proposals from Chicago's big firms, Obama asked Judson Minor if he could come meet people at his firm.
11: We we walked around and and I said something about We'll keep in touch. And he looked at me and said, oh, aren't you going to offer me a job? I said, well, you know, I really got to talk to my brothers and sisters and see what their reaction is. I suspect they're going to be interested. I'm guessing. And then we offer him a job. And he accepted
0: And accepting Judson's offer, Obama had some people to disappoint. He'd been offered a job at Sidley Austin, the firm where he met Michelle.
4: He said to me, I'm sorry, I can't uh, take the job. I love you guys.
0: Obama told then Sidley partner, Newton Minow, that he planned to go into some form of public service.
4: I said, well, that's good. I said, we'll try to help you. And he said, well, I don't think you're going to want to help me when I tell you the rest of the story. Both of us were standing up. And he said, I'd prefer it if we both sit down. I thought, what the hell is this? So we both sat down and he said, uh, I want you to know I'm taking Michelle with me. I said, what? You no good, worthless piece. So he said, hold it. We're going to get married. <laughs> I said, well, that's different if you're going to get married. Otherwise, I would have killed you.
0: Turns out, Michelle had also been questioning whether or not she was on the right path with corporate law. She put feelers out for other potential opportunities. Richard M. Daley was the mayor of Chicago at the time, and his deputy chief of staff received a copy of Michelle's resume.
10: And across the top, it had a rave review from Newt Minow, and basically it said, Incredible young woman, interested in public service, doesn't want to practice law. Valerie Jarrett is a very
0: close friend of the Obamas. She would later serve as senior advisor throughout the Obama presidency. But in 1991, she was impressed enough by Michelle's resume that she invited her in for an interview and offered her a job on the spot.
10: A couple of days later, I was talking to her and I said, so what about that offer? And she said, well, my fiancé doesn't think it's such a great idea. And I said, well, who's your (laughs) fiancé?
0: Obama had started his career as a community organizer. And as a community organizer, he often had to go up against the city. If Michelle worked in the mayor's office, they might find themselves on opposite sides of a battle. So the Obamas invited Jarrett over for dinner to get a sense of what Michelle's job would actually be like.
10: It's a dinner I remember very well. They asked such thoughtful questions. Why did I think public service would be good for her in the mayor's office, and what they both communicated to me was a sense of to those who much is given, much is expected, and a desire to serve. After some deliberation, Michelle accepted Jarrett's
0: offer and went to work in the mayor's office. In the meantime, Obama put Judson Miner's law firm on hold for a little over a year. He accepted a fellowship at the University of Chicago Law School, and he worked on this book he was writing. Then in March of 1992, Obama accepted another offer, one that resonated with his experience as a community organizer.
3: I am asked to run something called Project Vote. The goal was to register as many voters as possible uh, for the 1992 election.
0: 1992 marked the first presidential campaign of Bill Clinton. In Illinois, Carol Mosley Braun was running to become the first female African-American U.S. senator. Obama became the director of Illinois Project Vote, and he thought Mosley Braun's campaign might inspire a surge in African-American voter registrations. So he started looking around for people who might be able to help. He was told to head over to the alderman's office of the 29th ward that's on the far west side. Back in Harold Washington's day, that ward was famous for its ability to pull off massive voter registration drives.
1: He came over and uh he had on his brown leather bomber jacket and his brown leather case. That held his book because his laptop was in there, one of the first I'd ever seen. Carol Ann Harwell worked in the alderman's office. And When he got there, he said, I didn't know Chicago was this big because he had never been that far west. It was kind of funny because he sounded like somebody from Kansas City, and he was just so youthful looking. He looked like he was 12. He was born in Hawaii. What? You
0: know, that kind of thing. Barack ended up asking Harwell to court nate the west side for him in project vote. He was the boss. He did a lot of radio, a lot of talk
1: shows and you know just got people interested in it.
4: On the line with me from uh, Chicago
0: is uh, Barack Obama. Uh, Mr. Obama, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon. How are you?
0: Here's Obama on NPR scenario? in 1992.
3: We can transform this country's political processes unless people get involved. Uh, but people won't get involved unless they see some sense that the, the, the process is going to be transformed.
0: Project uh, Vote Illinois you know, had it's posters it's all over the city with their slogan, a "It's a power thing." And black radio stations aired the group's ads.
3: Up, up, so I think you know, in the media age like this, you really have to reach out to young people and show that registration was hip, was popular, uh, was trending. So we actually built a grassroots uh, volunteer effort and registered record numbers for that election.
0: Obama and the group registered over 100,000 new voters.
3: That was the first time that I had gotten directly involved with and in relationships with uh, some of the political players around the city. I think people became familiar with the notion that I knew how to organize people.
0: Project Vote was a big success and put Obama on the radar of Chicago's political insiders. And as that effort was wrapping up, the Obamas had something else to celebrate. Barack Obama and Michelle Robinson were married on October 3, 1992, at Trinity United Church. Reverend Jeremiah Wright performed the ceremony. Valerie Jarrett was there.
10: It was a beautiful ceremony. She had on a magnificent dress and he couldn't take his eyes off of her.
0: The couple held their reception at the South Shore Cultural Center.
10: It included people that were simply close to them. And I've been to a lot of weddings where there were obligatory people on the guest list. Mm. It was just people who truly loved them dearly. We felt like...
0: Barack was ours. Some of Obama's former colleagues in community organizing were there, including Loretta Augustine. We were very protective of him, you know,
5: and we were so happy he was getting married. And he was marrying somebody that we felt was going to look out after him. They were going to be partners in that. Michelle was great. You know, you do the toast. Carol Ann Harwell.
1: I must admit this was after a bottle of champagne, but I actually got up and I said to Michelle, you need to enjoy the next two weeks because this man belongs to the people. And she was like, Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. You know, one of those kind of things. You know, newly new wife. Here this black man was from Harvard, the first African American president of the Law Review. And at that time, trust me, nobody knew what that meant. It just sounded good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
0: The couple moved around the room greeting their guests.
5: When they came to us and they were asking how we were, and everybody was treating us all right, and he says, Is there anything we can do for you? And I'm like, Not right now, but when you become president, we want to be at one of those inaugural balls.
0: You said that to him. Of course I said it to him. What did he say? He laughed and said, You've got it. For the record, Twenty years later, Obama kept that promise to Loretta Augustine. When we were first married, our combined monthly student loan bill was actually higher than our mortgage. Yeah, we we were so young, so in love, and so in debt. (laughs) The newlyweds bought their first home in the Hyde Park neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. What do you remember about um, Michelle and Barack Obama as a couple?
5: (laughs) Um, cute.
0: <laughs> Community activist Jackie Grimshaw lived in the area. Later, the Obamas moved in next door to her.
5: We have a local grocery store here in Hyde Park. It was called the Hyde Park Co-op. Yeah, run into Barack at the co-op where Michelle had sent him out to get a loaf of bread or
0: whatever. So he was always on purpose. Hyde Park has a certain reputation. It's viewed as this kind of south side bubble of progressive politics and affluence, partly thanks to the fact that it's the home of the University of Chicago. Liberal Hyde Park, you know, those eggheads. You know,
5: I mean, there are all of us just regular people here, too. But, you know, you have that kind of reputation. Do you think it's
0: gotten the reputation for being elitist?
8: Oh, yes. People think of us that way. we're not. Some of the most progressive aldermen and progressive elected officials, including Harold Washington,
0: came out of Hyde Park. Laura Washington is a longtime Chicago journalist. She says that if you're a budding African-American politician, settling in Hyde Park is a savvy move. I think, ironically, the reason he settled in Hyde Park, because Hyde Park was integrated. It wasn't
8: an African-American neighborhood. There was money in Hyde Park, but it it was also on the south side. needed to be on the south side because it needed to be in the circle of black folks.
0: So Michelle and Barack Obama are in a neighborhood populated by longtime Chicago progressives and a fair share of young professionals. By 1993, Obama is commuting to downtown, working full time for Judson Miner's civil rights focused law firm. Did you get the sense that he enjoyed practicing law? I, I know you say he was good well,
11: at it. He liked the outcome. I think that there were elements of the practice of law that he
3: clearly did not like. He didn't like the game playing that goes on.
0: Here's Obama from an interview at the time.
3: There's a, there's a continuity between the work that I did with Project Vote, the work that I did as an organizer that originally brought me to uh, Chicago, and the work that I'm doing now as an attorney. And uh, and so, you know, I'm very excited by it.
9: Well, it's interesting. I mean, Barack, when he came back here, he was kind of a rock star to begin with. But then he began to be more than just a lawyer.
0: Marilyn Katz is a longtime progressive activist and PR consultant in Chicago. She first met Obama through Miner's law firm.
9: People began to call on him more than Judd or anybody else in that law office as a speaker. His organizing days had translated into an interest that was broad and deep and rooted in law and experience, which was really different. By 95, his opinions appear to come from a very deep well. There not only well thought out, but they're well regarded.
0: By the mid-90s, Obama is invited to join multiple boards of prominent organizations throughout the city. These groups were working on some significant issues, but Obama's appointments also gave him access to people with resources and influence. Every experience you have is valuable. Jackie Grimshaw served with Obama in one organization, and she watched him expanding his networks. Politics is about relationships.
5: And so, you know, those boards gave him the opportunity to develop more relationships into parts of the community where he probably had not developed any relationships before.
0: So by this time, Obama is respected by powerful people. He's getting noticed. His name is out there. He's becoming someone with real credibility. And that means he can make his next step. And
4: uh, do you have any plans to run for political office?
3: You know, uh, not at the moment.
0: Here's Obama being interviewed in 1993.
3: My general view about uh, politics and and running for office is that uh, if you end up being fortunate enough to have the opportunity to serve, uh, it's because you've got a track record of service in, in the community. Right now, I'm still building up that track record. And and if it if uh, a point comes where I think that I can do more good in, in a political office than I, I can uh, doing the things I'm doing now, then I'm, I might think about it. But that time is uh, certainly in the future.
0: Coming up on Making Obama, the first campaign.
2: The president and I had, you know, similar backgrounds, single-parent families. We both went to private schools where we were one of just a handful of minorities. We both played basketball all through high school.
0: Marty Nesbitt is one of Barack Obama's closest friends. And as more and more people began to see a political future for Obama, even with Marty, Obama kept his cards close to his chest.
2: He was very modest about his own sort of potential and capability. We never talked about Harvard Law School. We never talked about any of that stuff. I started recognizing his potential when my wife pointed it out to me. What did she say? Well, you know, she used to always tease him around his birthday about one day becoming president. She would always give him these gag gifts that depicted him as president. Like what? Look, give like, us like, an example. Like she, uh, she gave him a board game that was a kid's board game, and it had all the faces of former presidents on it. And, you know, you just had to get from the beginning to the end and answer questions about the presidents to win. And she'd cut out his picture and taped it <laughs> at the end of the game. <laughs> you know, it was like, it's funny, but he never really responded to it. At this point,
0: Obama hadn't been elected to any office, much less the presidency.
10: Over time, during those first few years that I worked with Michelle and that the three of us became friends, increasingly he started to talk about a potential political career. And Chicago's a tough city to break into if you didn't grow up there.
0: Valerie Jarrett held prominent positions in city government, and she became an important ally
10: for Obama. He didn't have any problems saying, look, I'm new here. I'm just getting my feet on the ground. I spent a lot of time just introducing him to people. You know, my pitch was simply, this is an extraordinary young man. You're going to want to know him. And he did the hard work as well. I mean, he was very willing to meet any and everyone because he knew he had to earn uh, their respect and their trust. With Obama laying
0: the groundwork for a possible political career, an opportunity seemed to be opening up in the spring of 1995. Here's what happened.
10: Congressman Reynolds came to court for a procedural hearing.
4: The indictment alleges that the congressman began an unlawful sexual relationship with a girl who was 16 years old in 1992.
0: Congressman Mel Reynolds, who represented parts of Chicago's South Side, was indicted on multiple charges of sexual assault and abuse of a young campaign volunteer.
3: In America, you are innocent until proven guilty. And I will not be proven guilty in this
0: matter because I'm innocent. As it became apparent that the charges against Reynolds might lead to an actual conviction, Illinois State Senator Alice Palmer announced that she was going to run for Reynolds' seat in Congress. That meant a potentially empty state Senate seat on the South Side. Obama began asking people for their opinion about whether or not he should try to go to the State House in Springfield, Illinois.
9: And I'm saying to him, oh, absolutely not, absolutely not activist and consultant, Marilyn Katz. Don't go to Springfield. I mean, that's the land where politicians are going to die. You're not going to make a name for yourself. You're not going to stand out.
11: He told me that if he got into politics, he always felt it was important that he start at a lower level.
0: Obama asked Judson Minor, his boss at the law firm, for his opinion.
11: You feel that this is a good starting point? Go for it. Don't spend the rest of your life wondering what he should have done.
0: But before he decided to enter that race, Obama had to publish that book that he'd received an advance for. Now, the book was supposed to be about voting rights. Instead, it became Barack Obama's autobiography. He published it at the age of 33.
3: Uh, originally, uh, it was going to be very much a, uh, an academic book.
0: Obama in
3: 1993. It ended up being a reflection on what it means to be uh, a black man in America and, and, and issues of fatherhood. And
0: issues what did and you for, witness about how, how that writing process was going for him?
10: <laughs> well, it wasn't going very well in the beginning. <laughs> I think upon reflection after having read the book, I realized how challenging that book was for him, how emotional it was, how he had to come to terms with his own childhood and young adulthood in a way that he hadn't prior to writing the book.
0: Valerie Jarrett hosted a book release party for Dreams from My Father at her parents' home.
10: I had to twist arms to get our living room full, uh, and full in that living room is about 40 or 50 people. <laughs> why did you have to so, twist arms? Why? why the arm Nobody twisty? had heard of him. <laughs> nobody really understood why they had to come to this book party. And I kept saying, it's a great book. He's a wonderful person. Trust me. Now, when I talk to people who remember having been there, of course, their memory of it is very different. They're like, well, of course I wanted to go to that book party. I couldn't wait to meet Barack (laughs) Obama.
3: Good evening. Thank you very much.
0: In the beginning, interest in the book was pretty low. But Obama did the rounds.
3: I noticed today as I was in the hotel room getting ready that uh, Colin Powell is also here today. We were going to coordinate our tours, uh, and uh, he was a little worried that I'd... Siphon off the crowds, but uh, it looks like he did okay. He gave book readings. One last question. Okay. Why didn't, you put any pictures in the book? Why didn't I put any pictures in the book? You know, I. This I guess... is Talk of the City
11: on WBEZ. We're talking about the book Dreams from My Father. He was
0: on Edward. our station. Thank you so much. you had a
11: wonderful time. It's great. great. Our next guest. Uh,
0: and he did some other radio.
3: And our guest, Barack Obama, that's spelled O B A
6: M A. You want to remember that spelling because you're probably going to want to get your hands on this excellent new memoir.
1: He just called me one day because he he always called me by my last name. Hey, Harwell, this this is Obama. And I'm like, yeah, what's up, dude? With the book
0: published, Obama returned to the idea of that state Senate campaign. He asked Carol Ann Harwell, his former colleague from Project Vote, if she might be able to help out,
1: he said, I'm thinking about running for state Senate. And I was like, really? On top of everything else you're doing? He was like, yeah. And he said, you know what I need you to do, Harwell? I need you to come over here and I need you to run this thing for me. I don't know a lot about politics and I don't know a lot of people that I trust to run this except for you. So what made you say
0: yes? You don't say no to Barack. Harwell became Obama's campaign manager for his Illinois State Senate race. Now, the seat that Obama was going after was the one held by Alice Palmer. You have to realize who Alice Palmer was. My name is Alice J. Palmer. Here's former State Senator Alice Palmer speaking in 2000. I represented the 13th District on the south side of Chicago.
1: She was the late. She was it. She was Miss Progressive, hands down. I had been elected ward committeeman in 1988 in the aftermath of Harold's death. She was loved by all the progressives around the city of Chicago. She was so respected by her community. Uh, I served on um, education committee.
0: For her to select him was just like saying, this is it. When you decided to run for state senate, you were endorsed by then state senator Alice Palmer to take over her seat. How did she know you were interested in running?
3: Well, uh, Alice was a good person and uh, a good state senator. It was a few months into her campaigning for Congress that uh, a number of people said, you know, Alice is going to be giving up her seat. Would you be interested in potentially taking? Uh, her place. And I talked it over with Michelle.
1: She cooked for us. It was so nice. She made me a nice salad. And Barack told me, make sure you tell her it's good. And it's really good, Michelle.
0: (laughs) One evening, Obama brought Harwell over to the House to help sell Michelle on the state Senate run.
1: We talked her into it. And Michelle's whole thing was, this was public service. And she was married to a potential prominent attorney. Not to say that she was selfish, and that's not the way I'm saying it. I'm hoping it's not coming across that way. But she just felt that Barack was doing a lot. And so it was like, we can do this, and I promise you we'll get this done, and he won't be gone away from home a lot,
3: <laughs> you know. I thought the idea of this as an entry-level political position made sense because it was part-time. I could continue to practice law and to teach. And... Uh, If, in fact, Alice was endorsing me, then I thought uh, I'd have a pretty good chance of of winning.
0: So they had a plan. Alice Palmer would run against indicted Congressman Mel Reynolds during the regular election cycle, while Obama would run for Palmer's vacant state Senate seat. But then... A sudden court ruling in Reynolds' sex scandal case changed
10: everything. The ruling came as a stunning blow to Reynolds. Jurors convicted the congressman of everything charged, of having sex with Beverly Heard while she was under age, of soliciting child pornography, and of trying to undermine the investigation into the crimes. I'm Shirley Jihad, WBEZ News. There is one announced candidate for the second
1: congressional seat, State Senator Alice Palmer. We talked to her here on WBEZ Chicago.
0: Alice Palmer appeared on our station to tell voters why she'd be the best person to replace Mel Reynolds.
1: What people are going to be looking for
10: is a person in whom they can have confidence. I am less of a talker than I am a doer. I'm a worker bee, not a queen bee.
0: Just a few days after this interview, Mel Reynolds resigned. A special election was quickly called to fill his congressional seat, and Alice Palmer suddenly found herself facing some unexpected competition. Illinois Democratic Senate leader Emil Jones entered the race, and Jesse Jackson Jr., the son of Reverend Jackson, announced his candidacy. Now, this early special election presented both a challenge and an opportunity for Alice Palmer. She was now running against some higher-profile candidates. But if she lost the congressional race, she still had time to go back and run for her state Senate seat again.
3: And so what that meant was she could hedge her bets and run for Congress. If, in fact, she didn't win, she could then file and uh, retain her state Senate seat. And I was aware of that, she was aware of that. Because of that, I actually went to her and I said, look, I understand that you had endorsed me and you had said no matter what that you weren't going to uh, want to retain your seat, but now you have that option. If you're going to do that, let me know now because once I announce, I start raising money, I've got staff, we've done a lot of work, it'll be hard for me to pull out, are you sure? And she said, yes, absolutely, I'm sure.
0: A week after the special election was set, Barack Obama announced his candidacy for the state Senate at the Ramada Inn in Hyde Park on September 19, 1995.
1: It was beautiful. Everybody was there. It was almost like a black tie, seriously. And Alice actually announces that this is a young man. She told us all about him, that he was the first Harvard Law Review.
0: Alice Palmer said to the crowd, quote... In this room, Harold Washington announced for mayor. Barack Obama carries on the tradition of independence in this district. His candidacy is a passing of the torch.
1: And I'd like to introduce to you the person I would like to take my seat. His name is
0: Barack Obama. With Obama officially in the race, he could start raising money. And those past wealthy connections in the legal world paid off.
4: We had a fundraiser for him. Uh, here in this apartment.
0: Obama's friend and supporter, Newton Minow.
4: And I must say, he was terrible.
0: (laughs) He was terrible?
4: Yes. (laughs) He stood before the fireplace, and people would ask him questions, and he'd give a long academic, on the one hand, on the other hand, answer. He was not crisp or precise, and he was just beginning. He, he, He was not up to it at that point.
0: But with some practice, Obama's fundraising efforts started to deliver. His campaign spent thousands of dollars setting up an office. They bought phones, supplies, some computers, and they started producing campaign literature. But, meanwhile, in Alice Palmer's campaign, her backers began to get nervous. Jesse Jackson Jr. was raising some serious money, and he had real name recognition.
7: She didn't think she could win against Jesse Jackson Jr. because of his father.
0: Timuel Black is a historian and community activist. He'd been a longtime supporter of Alice Palmer.
7: We could tell Alice what to do in the state senate, and she would do that. Some in Palmer's camp were a bit disappointed with the deal that she'd struck with Obama. We did not know that she had made this agreement. Well, because of her seniority in the state senate, we thought that we could talk with Barack. And he would back away.
0: So one night in November, Obama was summoned to a meeting with Alice Palmer's closest supporters. If she ended up losing the congressional primary, they wanted Obama to stop campaigning. Timuel Black was there.
7: We said that we would support him in the future to any other office. He refused to back away. We could sense then the political. Attitude
0: how did uh, Barack Obama talk about that meeting when you when you spoke with he, him
1: he um he said, well, Harwell, I feel bad for Alice, but I think it dawned on him. I've spent this money, and this is me on the line, and I'm just not going to be punk because I think if the tone of the meeting may have been a little different. I think maybe it would have been some decision like, well, should I or shouldn't I? Because he didn't make up his mind right away. It was like a back and forth. Well, what do I do? I don't want to lose the
0: friendship of Alice. I don't want to lose the respect of these individuals. So you said had they approached him differently, he might have responded differently. So how did they approach him?
1: I think it was kind of rough. You can't do this or you can't win this without blah, 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 meaning them. And we didn't feel that way.
8: I think there has always been this sort of elders versus youngers tension in the black community where you have to wait your turn. Journalist Laura Washington. We're the elders. We decide, let us take our run and then you can step up. And he was maybe perceived as not being willing to step back and wait. I think his response would be, we had an understanding and... I'm entitled to run too, and I'm going to run. It might have a little bit to do with generational politics, but it also had to do with this is a deal is a deal.
1: I didn't ask for this. You know, Alice offered this to us, and if
0: not now, when? Like, who do they think they are? Despite the pleas of Palmer's supporters, Obama pressed on with his campaign. <coughs> Now, in order to get on the ballot in Illinois, you need a certain number of petitions or signatures from registered voters in the district. So in the late fall of 1995, Carol Ann Harwell and Barack Obama headed out into the neighborhoods.
1: I told them a good candidate gets at least the signatures that they
0: need. You don't ask volunteers to do something that you wouldn't do. It's time for some Chicago Politics 101. Lesson number one, dress appropriately. So he and I started out, and we we decided to start
1: over in Inglewood. It was freezing. He had no gloves, no hat, this little bomber jacket that he had been wearing, and we were in his sob. I was freezing. (laughs) He caught such a cold, and I promised Michelle that I was going to make sure all this went well, and it was going to work out. And here, the first night we go out, he's sick. And so I was like, see, uh, you're not going to put me on bad terms with her. You're going to have to do what you have to do. So when the next time I saw him, he looked like the Michelin, you know, tire (laughs) man. He was so wrapped up. Lesson number two,
0: be efficient.
1: We had to literally drag him away from people because once he got in the door, he was so engaging. My name is Barack Obama, you know, and I know that's a funny name, and he would start talking and telling people what his vision was for the 13th district, and I literally had to say, okay, we got to move to the next, let's go to the next house, (laughs) and we had to kind of like pull him along because if it was left up to me, he got three signatures a night because he would have stood there and kept talking.
0: Lesson number three, find a simple, consistent message.
1: Because Barack is really smart, and Barack can say some stuff sometimes, and you be looking at him like, really? What did you just say? You know, you got to dummy that down. you got to make sure everybody understands what you're saying without making them feel like you dummied it down for them. And you have to have the same message in High Park and South Shore that you have in Inglewood. You can't tell people in Inglewood, I'm for gun control, and
0: then get over to South Shore and say, let's go hunting. The campaign's going well. Obama's getting his petitions, he's learning, he's meeting voters, but there's still Alice Palmer's special election. And on the day of the primary, November 28, 1995, Harwell decided to take her candidate to some polling places. So
1: I took him out and we kind of went around so that he could see what happens, you know, with election judges and the poll watchers giving him an understanding of what actually happened on Election Day. And we went out, and it was a mob scene. But at the end of the night, as we sat there and listened to the results come in, and we were like, oh my goodness,
0: Alice is losing. Jesse Jackson Jr. won by a landslide. Southside, I am convinced, has opportunities just like the North Side. Alice Palmer finished a distant third place. The people have spoken, and I accept their decision. And to this end, I still pledge my energy, my intellect, and my heart.
1: Baronto had a hard time sleeping. He couldn't sleep. He called me Hardwell. I don't know about this. I need to talk to Alice. Then call her.
3: After her loss, I check back with her, and I say. Are you still committed to uh, supporting me? And I was having trouble reaching her. (laughs) So people started getting a little nervous in my camp.
1: So he talked to Alice, and Alice said to him, according to what I was told, Alice said to him,
0: I've told you you can run for the seat, run for the seat. Coming up on Making Obama, Alice Palmer changes her mind. We've talked to a lot of people about Alice Palmer being removed from the ballot, and there's so many different versions of that story. What do you think about the way that story has been told?
3: I'm not sure how the story's been told. I can give you sort of the definitive version of events as I saw it, which is fairly straightforward. I think a combination of her supporters, people who felt very strongly that she had been a good senator, they were disappointed in her losing the congressional seat but wanted her to stay in I think they all argued forcefully with her that in fact whatever commitment she had made to me she should nevertheless stay in and so I understand why they felt that way I I was more of a newcomer this was somebody that uh, they felt uh, affection and loyalty for and I think that she was talked into deciding to get in anyway
0: With Alice Palmer re-entering the state Senate race, an easy win for Obama suddenly seemed much more uncertain. Alice Palmer
3: became a threat. There was a part of me that said, I wouldn't have come this far if this hadn't been an open seat and she hadn't uh, endorsed me. Uh, But there was also a part of me that felt as if I had, on multiple occasions, uh, tried to confirm this endorsement. And I had a lot of people at that point who were committed to me and had put in a lot of energy, and I felt uh, that I had an obligation to them as well. I had to make a decision, which I wrestled with, actually. The decision the former president is talking about was something that would
0: color his early political career. It sent a message to others about what kind of politician he was, and it had everything to do with getting and keeping your name on the ballot.
3: The petition process in Illinois can be difficult and troublesome, but it's reflective of your organizational capacity and attention to detail.
0: In order to get on the ballot in Illinois, you have to get a certain number of petitions or signatures from registered voters in the district you're running in. Obama and his supporters put in a lot of work going door to door in the neighborhoods. In the end, his campaign filed four times more signatures than he actually needed. Meanwhile, Alice Palmer and her supporters were scrambling after she lost the special election on November 28th. The filing deadline to get on the ballot for her old state Senate seat was December 18th. That meant she only had a few weeks to gather enough signatures.
1: Her people were on 71st and Jeffrey. And we watched the junk and
0: the garbage that was coming up. Obama's campaign manager, Carol Ann Harwell, was keeping a close eye on the Palmer campaign.
1: They weren't asking people where they live. They weren't asking people if they were registered voters. Now, remember, we come from Project Vote, so our first focus was to make sure that
0: people were registered to vote. On December 18, 1995, Alice Palmer filed her signatures, 1,580 in total. And she formally announced that she was back in the state Senate race. But it's not enough to just file the petitions. In Chicago, you can challenge your opponent's signatures. Let's say the person who signed isn't a registered voter, or their address is wrong, or maybe they're deceased. That signature can be invalidated. And if your opponent doesn't end up with the minimum number of signatures to run, they get kicked off the ballot. At first, Barack Obama didn't think highly of this Chicago ritual.
1: He thought it was disgraceful that a person could go and look at a person's petitions and knock them off the ballot. He felt like everybody had a right to run. And we were like, this is Chicago,
0: dude. He had no idea. But despite Obama's misgivings, his campaign went ahead and looked at Alice Palmer's petitions anyway.
3: We ended up discovering that They had been pretty slapdash about trying to get signatures.
0: They were garbage. People named Pookie, for instance, we know what that means. In 1995, Alan Dobry was a Chicago political operator who helped Obama. He was interviewed by NPR in 2008. It means somebody got a bunch of kids from the local high school to circulate the petition, and they
11: put down their name as Pookie.
1: Superman, Pookie, Kadoonk. Mickey Mouse, uh, Mighty Mouse. I should have done a race to see which one of them won. <laughs> and I don't even know if it was Alice, to be honest with you. I don't think it was Alice so much as, as it was her supporters.
3: Most of the signatures were not valid. It wasn't that hard to get on the ballot. I mean, it was, I think, it just indicative of the fact that it was last minute and she had changed her mind.
0: So after seeing Alice Palmer's petitions, the Obama campaign had to make a decision. Do we challenge her signatures and try to knock her off the ballot? Or do we roll the dice and see who wins the election? And when he saw the
1: nonsense that people were doing to try to stay on the ballot, and he figured, why not? These, you know, the candidates aren't taking it serious enough to get proper signatures, so why should we give them the opportunity to run? That's how we got them, and we worked every day, all day. We got there when they opened, and we didn't leave till they closed. And we went
11: line by line. We go down to the Board of Election Commissioners and we check them line by line. Board has a computerized system. You can call up at any address all the registered voters, or all the people with a given name, and you can see. Are they registered? Have they ever been registered? We
1: decided that we're just going to challenge because it was garbage. We didn't shotgun them and just say everybody's bad. We actually gave them legitimate reasons why that person's name wasn't supposed
0: to be on that petition. Barack didn't have much to do with that because we just do this automatically in every case. Obama's campaign successfully challenged two-thirds of Alice Palmer's signatures. Her name was removed from the ballot. Journalist Laura Washington.
8: And a lot of progressives, a lot of reformers, a lot of people who supported her and him thought that that was dirty politics and unbecoming of him because he was supposed to be this rising star who was a progressive. How could you go resort to the old Chicago way to knock our old friend Alice Palmer off the ballot?
0: How did you all feel? How did you feel about him challenging those
7: signatures? I was angry at him, but not upset. Alice Palmer supporter, Timuel Black. So I wasn't surprised at him. That's political behavior, as far as I can see. He wants to be the state senator. They made a deal. She backs away from the deal that was made. I was not as mad at him as I was at her. Like all politicians, you know, you want to stay in office. And
5: she was upset that Barack wouldn't step away. But, you know, in politics, all you have is your word. You know, it's golden community activist Jackie Grimshaw. I mean, I worked to elect Alice. I had a relationship with her. Yeah, you know, then I had this relationship with this guy, Barack, and you, know, you take sides, and Alice and Barack were both South Side candidates, and so a lot of these people I knew from here at Washington. You've been through the war together, and now all of a sudden, you know, there's a division in the ranks. Do you know what my reputation took
1: behind that? For years, for years, I was the subject of a conversation because it seemed as though I squashed the last female good uh, representative that we had. I just felt like whenever I went around a group of women, they were just going to hit me in the head.
5: With Barack, I think it hurt him. The fact that, you know, somebody who had given him the seal of approval now made him the bad guy. It, was, it has to affect you.
0: But, you know, in politics, you've got to have a thick skin. What about the relationship between Alice Palmer and Barack Obama? I don't think there is one.
7: Now, going back, she never forgave him but for not stepping aside. She still doesn't like it. Some of the people who
3: wanted her to stay in never fully forgave me for knocking around. You know, at the end of the day, it was not something that I would have wished for. Uh, I never thought ill of her uh, in this process, but... Uh, uh, you know, that's how it happened.
0: We tried to interview Alice Palmer for this podcast. Through a friend, she declined, saying, quote, the past is the past. Alice Palmer isn't the only person that the Obama campaign knocked off the ballot. They also successfully challenged the petitions of three other candidates. Barack Obama ran in the Democratic primary unopposed
1: but I really do think he missed the fact that he didn't get the opportunity to run one-on-one in the primary because
0: he was, you know, honing his teeth and he had sharpened up, he was ready. Obama went on to win the general election with 82% of the vote. He's officially a politician. According to journalist Laura Washington, what went down with Alice Palmer sent out a clear message about Barack Obama. It
8: turned some heads. People noticed. It was telling the political world don't mess with me I'm tough enough to do this I'm tough enough to be an elected official and I may be a new kid on the block and I may not be from Chicago but I understand the Chicago way and I know how to work it
1: have your claws sharpened don't be thin-skinned because it's down and dirty here a person who comes to Chicago needs to be ready to run because if you're not ready you can get got two or three different ways
0: Here's Obama in 2001 speaking about that state senate
3: race. It left a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth, just in the sense that uh, it reminded me that uh, part of politics is this uh, struggle for individual advancement that doesn't always have to do with the actual agenda of the community. And it's hard to keep above the fray. I mean, if you're going to be involved in this process that you end up having to uh, play hardball and battle it out, even as you keep your eye on the prize. There was also a running thread in all this of Barack's from Hyde Park. He went to Harvard. Is he street enough? Is he down enough? Uh, I I think that some of the people who were mobilizing around uh, uh, Alice felt suspicious that I was not somebody who had come up from the neighborhood.
0: How much of that do you think showed up in your 2000 congressional primary against Bobby Rush? Oh, very
3: much so. Uh, That was one of my uh, uh, not so good ideas. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Next time on Making Obama. I mean, he was he was a little stiff. He meets his colleagues in the state capitol.
7: Someone like Barack Obama actually classes up the place. But it's easy to mess with him.
0: He has some second thoughts.
7: He and I shared some similar frustrations, I guess. <laughs>
0: About Springfield? <laughs>
7: oh, God, yeah.
0: And he takes on a giant.
7: They thought that
0: this Harvard-educated lawyer, tall, handsome, nice skinned, looking good,
4: they thought that they could take me out.
0: Making Obama is a production of WBEZ Chicago. I'm Jen White. The producer is Colin McNulty. The executive producer is Brendan Banaszak, with editing help from Kevin Dawson of Whistledown Productions. Really special thanks to James Edwards, Joe DeSoe, Candice Mattel-Kahn, Kate Cahan, Justin Bull, Steve Edwards, and our intern B Aldrich. Our digital editor is Trisha Bobita. And make sure that you're subscribed to Making Obama on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you'll be sure not to miss a single episode. While you're there, please give us a rating or a review. And if you want even more Making Obama, go to wbez.org Obama.